0: beautiful. You're so amazing. We look at what you've done for us. The fact that you would love people like us. And we're just blown away by us being able to have a personal redeemer like that. And we thank you for your beauty. And we pray that you would help us to see that and more than that to reflect your beauty and your fairness in our dealings with others. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. All right, let's turn in our Bibles now to 1 Corinthians chapter 3. As we've been studying through the book of 1 Corinthians, and we've come to chapter 3 this morning, Paul continues his address to the church there in Corinth as he shares with them, as he has been sharing, there's a certain way that God wants us to live life, but that way can be totally missed if we're not careful. He pointed out to them the problems with the division that they were having, the arrogance and pride that was motivating their lives. And as he shares with them, it just becomes clear to us that the there are certain hazards that go along with being a Christian whereby we can miss and not understand the things that God wants us to understand. It's not all about... Just getting a good, good education, as important as education is. Because as he told us throughout the second chapter, these are spiritual things and they need to be discerned or understood by the Spirit of God. It's through entering into a relationship with Him whereby the Holy Spirit is allowed to control us, to, to fill us. We have the Spirit within us. But to allow the Spirit to move in our lives, for us to get out of the way and let Him work, is essential to us really being able to understand spiritual things. They're spiritually discerned. And so we'll look at the first four verses, and let's read 1 Corinthians chapter 3, beginning with verse 1. And I, brethren, could not speak to you as to spiritual people, but as to carnal, as to babes in Christ, I fed you with milk and not with solid food, for until now you were not able to receive it. And even now you are still not able, for you are still carnal. For where there are envy, strife, and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? The word carnal or fleshly It just means like acting like a person who's acting independently of a divine nature, a person whom the Holy Spirit is not leading and guiding them. So basically, a carnal person is pretty much like someone who hasn't accepted the Lord Jesus. A spiritual person is someone who understands spiritual things, who grows spiritually, who relates to God in the Spirit, who allows the Spirit to control our lives, and so he makes these two categories, carnal and spiritual. And remember, in the passage, he's talking to Christians. He's not saying, oh, those old non-Christians, they don't get it. But magically, when you become a Christian, you do get it. That's not the point. He's, he's telling them, even as he says, you're in Christ, but you're babes in Christ. You're like little babies. The message of these verses is as he exhorts us grow up it's time for you to mature to get out of your carnality to have your life change from the way that it used to be and really get it together now that's a message that we hear a lot but it's interesting as we look into this passage a little bit deeper and a little bit more we realize that Spirituality and carnality are defined in a different way than we typically would. The reason is there are two different kinds of carnality. And I think so often, though we may reject one type of carnality, we then trade it for another kind of carnality. When we see what he says about spiritual, spirituality, it's a different matter completely. Carnality, living in the flesh. It's something that's serious because if you're carnal, you can't learn and you can't grow. You become just completely locked in as he says, I can't even talk to you. You don't get what I'm trying to say. Not like you're spiritual, but as to carnal, I have to talk to you like you're babies. And the food that I give you, I'm doling it out and it's simple. I can't get complicated with you because you don't understand the most basic things that I'm telling you. You haven't been able to receive it, and even now you're having a problem. This carnality. Now, carnality by its definition is really not allowing the Holy Spirit to work in your life what he wants to do. We so often set up this equation that says being a Christian is all about getting a ticket to heaven. And so when you confess your sins... He punches your ticket, you stick it in your back pocket, and now you're ready to die and go to be with the Lord. And that's something that we're comfortable with. But then typically we say, but also you need to become a better person. So if you really want to be a good spiritual Christian, you need to make yourself better. You need to reform yourself. You need to turn things around. And those are typically the two steps that we go to. And I think Paul would say, you know what? It's just two different flavors of carnality, ultimately. See, the gospel, the fact that Jesus Christ died for us, the fact of his grace that he does it all for us, that's not designed just as a ticket to heaven, although it is a ticket to heaven. If you confess your sins, he'll forgive them. But he doesn't want us to be babes in Christ, he he doesn't want us to be immature, he wants us to grow. Becoming a Christian and understanding the gospel isn't just about the plan of salvation. It's about a new way of life, a way in which the Spirit controls us, leads and guides us, does good things in our lives in a way that makes it obvious that it's God. It's that relationship that He wants us to have. Now, so often we think, man, I'm glad I'm a Christian, but then everything we read about heaven looks really boring, Because for us, heaven is living the most carnal life we can. And now, believe me, heaven's gonna be great no matter what you think. It just can't be described because we aren't on that level or that plane. But here's what I mean by two levels of carnality, two kinds of carnality. On the one hand, there are people that we would all brand as carnal. These are the people who accept Jesus Christ and then they just don't change. They continue to perform all of their old habits and activities. Their life isn't changed in the least except that in their head they came to a point where they said, I'm a Christian. But these people aren't about to change. They don't want to change. They live in the same deadness they were in before. They just have a ticket to heaven. And that indeed is carnality. That's still, that's being a Christian but living like you're a non-Christian. And I think that... There are enough people who beat that over the head that we all understand what that carnality looks like, and every one of us, one time or another, feel like we catch ourselves living in that spot. Some of us don't catch ourselves at all because this is just where we live all the time. That's what we think of as normal. But there's another kind of carnality that I think is, is even more devious and more dangerous, and that is the carnality of deciding that I'm going to fix myself. And so now as I begin to change, even as God starts to change me, I start taking credit for it. And the way that kind of carnality is reflected is in a self-righteous, super-spiritual attitude that says, I am better than you. I am going to point my finger at you. I'm going to lecture you. I'm better than you are. And that, to me, that kind of legalism That kind of, rather than receiving what God wants to do in our lives, that work of the Spirit, that free work of His grace, instead what this is, is deteriorating into a point where I am saving myself. I am turning myself into something good. Look at me. Look how good I am. Look how much I've changed. And as we will see in these verses, typically the attitudes that go along with that kind of self-righteousness that kind of legalism, are attitudes that he describes as the very definition of carnality, of living as a Christian but living like you aren't. All you do is substitute certain standards for righteousness for another, and yet you're still walking in the flesh rather than in the spirit. As we read on here in verse 3, he says, for you are still carnal. Now, that would have shocked them. Because they lived in a community whereby people were living really bad. It was a very distorted view of reality there in Corinth. It was was the Las Vegas of the day. And so he's talking about carnality, and they're like, yeah, they're spiritual, and they're carnal, and we're spiritual, and they're carnal. And he goes, look, you guys are the babies, and I'm telling you, you are still carnal for, he goes, here's the evidence. Where there are envy... Strife and divisions among you, are you not carnal and behaving like mere men? For when one says, I am of Paul and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? Interesting description of carnality because with all of the problems that were going on there in Corinth, I would think that he would have said, listen, you're carnal because even though you've come to the Lord, you're still getting drunk because they were. Because, you know, you've come to the Lord, but man, look at how your theology is messed up about the return of Christ. Or look at how, you know, you're living in sin. You're still following your old habits and things like that. But it's interesting to me that he says, here's carnality. You want to stare it in the face? Here's what it looks like. Envy, strife, and division. A party spirit. I'm of Paul. I am of Apollos. What do those words mean? The first word, envy. Envy. In the Greek, it's the word zelos. It's the same word that we translate all over the New Testament as zeal or zealous. It's transliterated from that Greek word. The root word of of zelos is the word zoe, which is a word for fire. What it's talking about, it really isn't... I think envy is kind of an unfortunate translation because really it it can take on that connotation because when people get all fired up and worked up, so often it's as a result of some sort of envious thing. But at its basic root, it just means you're fired up, you're zealous. You're emotionally powered. Now, zeal in this sense isn't always a bad thing. When Jesus... Cleanse the temple, they remembered the scripture that said, zeal for my father's house has consumed me. And so in that case, you saw that zeal. It was, it was handled in a way that was appropriate. But most of the time when this word is used in the New Testament, it's not in a positive sense, at least not completely. Over in Philippians, when Paul talked about who he was before he met Jesus, and he was talking about being a Hebrew of the Hebrews, as far as the law was concerned, righteous and then he said, and, and as far as zeal goes, the same word, zealos, he said, I was persecuting the church. He goes, I was so fired up and excited that I was killing Christians for God. <laughs> Not a good idea. It wasn't right. Now, turn back a few pages to Romans chapter 10, and we'll see another place where Paul uses this word, and it's an interesting Context as he's talking about the Jews who hadn't yet accepted Jesus Christ as their Messiah, specifically addressing those Jewish leaders, the Pharisees, of whom he had been one of them. And he says in Romans 10, verse 1, Brethren, my heart's desire and prayer to God for Israel is that they may be saved. But I bear them witness, hey, I'll give them this, that they have a zeal for God but not according to knowledge. For they being ignorant of God's righteousness and seeking to establish their own righteousness have not submitted to the righteousness of God. He said, boy, do they get fired up. They really are excited about God, but they miss what righteousness is about. They don't get God's righteousness, which is given to us for free. Instead, they've opted for their own righteousness creating their own disciplined lifestyle that will somehow earn them status with God. And he said, in the process, they lost righteousness completely. Now, this gets to the heart of what's wrong with most people's relationship with God. We, we want to be righteous. And a lot of times we think, oh, man, God's done a lot for me, so now I need to pay him back by being righteous. But we don't understand the truth of the grace of God, the truth of the gospel of Jesus Christ, that we can't do that. He has to do it within us. He changes our heart. He ministers to us and works changes that we hardly notice. We look back and go, wow, I have changed. But a substitute for that is when you're frustrated with yourself, when you're feeling like you're not cutting it, when you're feeling like you come short, It's easy, first of all, to turn your eyes toward other people who are doing worse than you are. And then, secondly, it's really easy at that point, as you look at others, to get really worked up about sin. I think this is what's wrong with a whole lot of preaching. And I'm sure I'm guilty of this. People like to see you fired up. So sometimes when I'm preaching... And I get a little carried away and I'm pretty animated and everything. I have a lot of people, whoa, were you on fire today? That was awesome. That was, you know, but I'm not sure that that's really the way God wants his truth depicted. I'm not. I, one time I was talking on a Wednesday night study about the fact that if you watch Christian television and you turn the sound down, What do you think? And you watch these preachers, and and you get the idea, man, are they mad about something? They're really, and people love that kind of thing. They love to sit and watch someone get mad. The night that I talked about that, my son Danny was at home watching on the Internet, and he said, hey, Dad, when you said that, I turned the sound down and watched you for a while. (laughs) He said, you looked mad. (laughs) And I go, oh, man. I guess it's true. I guess God wasn't telling me that so I can nail these evangelists. It was so I could realize what idea am I coming across with. But so often we think of zeal as a, as a good example of somebody who's really on fire for the Lord. Spirituality equated to zeal. And, and there are pastors I know. I've heard pastors advocate that you just need to really bark it out. When you speak the word, say it like you know what you're talking about. There was one pastor who I had a conversation with him once, and and he's a guy who just always seems so sure of himself. I said, don't you ever wonder? He goes, oh, all the time. He said, if I am even 51% convinced that what I'm saying is the right interpretation, I preach it like my life depends on it. And I said, well, what do you do if you change your mind? He goes, then I take that view and preach it like my life depended on it. A lot of times that's what we think because being worked up is a great substitute for reality and confidence. And, and so often, it, well, all you have to do is watch two people in an argument. The one that starts getting louder first is probably the one that's wrong because when I run out of arguments, I can use zeal as a substitute for arguments and still hold my own through intimidation. But Paul said you guys are zealous but you're zealous like a baby. You know, it, we had a, a somebody bring a baby into first service and and the baby was back there starting to cry and I'm like I'm pretty good about not getting distracted but it just kept going and everyone's like turning around what's going on? I lost my train of thought and and it was like and I thought this is exactly what he's talking about. That baby had zeal. That baby believed in what it was saying in what it was advocating. And so often, that's the way we are. We just get all fired up about what? Oh, we don't know. It doesn't matter. We just think somehow that we will win by overpowering someone else, by intimidating someone else. An attitude of zeal is not a sign of spirituality. The most zealous person is the person whose religion tells them to go blow themselves up. You want zeal, there you go. How many Christians do you know that have that kind of dedication? Not many. Zeal in itself, as Paul says, in the name of Jesus, can often just be a sign of you being a baby. Sometimes when you're making a lot of noise, it's just because your diapers are dirty. That's your problem. (laughs) But he goes on to say, not only is there zeal but there's strife. You're fighting. You're always in a battle with someone, tearing each other apart and fighting. And again, so often we make this as a deeply spiritual thing. Most of the people I know who would describe themselves as being spiritual are people who fight with people all the time. And they feel like what they're doing is fighting against the devil, fighting against evil. You know... One way you can know that you're not fighting the devil is when you're fighting people. We wrestle not against flesh and blood, but against principalities and powers, rulers of the darkness of this age. Spiritual wickedness in high places, that's our battle. So our weapons of our warfare are not carnal, but they're mighty through tearing down strongholds, through prayer, through spiritual victories. And as soon as you're fighting a person, you're being carnal. As soon as you're battling people, that's not a sign of spirituality, trying to argue people into the kingdom of God, trying to force your view down their throats. It actually betrays a real insecurity. If you don't know that you're right, so often you'll substitute zeal and arguing for trusting the truth, fighting It's so senseless. We waste so much of our time doing it. The person who wins the fight usually ends up losing the fight. Is that what you call spirituality, that we're fighting against people who disagree with us? Or that as Christians, as Christian families, we spend a bunch of our time fighting each other? Is that spirituality? No, of course not. It's carnal at its basis. You don't have to watch too much You know, National Geographic or other, you know, nature channels before you realize the most animalistic thing that you can do is to fight. It's the reason why I watch those shows. I enjoy a good fight. So, on those, boy, on that one Planet Earth series... It's amazing. They're like showing, oh, it's so glorious, and they're playing soft music. And then all of a sudden, a crocodile comes out of the water and grabs a wildebeest and just drags him into the water. And I'm like, yeah, this is why I watch this thing. But so many of us, and sorry, it's just as I am. That's <laughs> carnality in action. But, you know, so often, that's the way we live our lives, like animals, Looking for someone to, you know, I'm going to establish my territory. I'm going to mark my plot of land. I'm going to stand fast, and I'm going to win, and you're going to lose. And he goes, no, that's like little kids in the playground stuff. That's not what happens when someone is filled with the Spirit. Then he goes on to to say, and he uses that word divisions among you. And this is kind of where it ends up. This word, the Greek word here for divisions, is two Greek words put together. One of them is the word is this, a word for two or double. And the second word comes from the word histeme. It's the word stasis from which we get our word static. It means something that's standing firm and not changing. You know, we use the word dynamic, which means changing, and static, which means not changing, And that's this word put together with two is what this word division means. It's drawing a line in the sand and saying neither one of us are going to change. Neither one of us want to be anything different than what we are. I'm going to win. And you have a standoff when that happens. Because though we may fight and I may lose the fight, you haven't changed me. I'm staying the same as I've always been. And that is the epitome of missing the message of the gospel. That is the epitome of carnality. Because in our flesh, we don't naturally get better. It's why I have such a hard time understanding the concept of evolution because there isn't anything in this world that improves over time. The second law of thermodynamics applies in all areas where everything is winding down, moving to a state of entropy. So I think, okay, you know, I'll give you credit. It's an, evolution's an interesting theory, but it seems to me to be contradictory to the laws of nature. And the truth is, for all of us, the older we get, we realize that we are deteriorating. So if we change, it's because we're getting worse, naturally. Now, the only way that that law can be reversed... The only way that the second law of thermodynamics will be overridden is by a higher law, and that's the law of the Spirit. Because God, by His Spirit, wants to change us from within and cause us to actually improve, to get better. But when we decide that I don't want to change, or when through our own carnality we just stay in the same place, we remain static, and we find other people who are doing the same, We're blocking the work of God in our lives whereby he wants to change us. Hey, if you want to know how spiritual you are, just ask yourself how you've changed lately. When was the last time you changed your mind about something? When was the last time you actually can say, boy, I really came through that and benefited? Or you want to judge your family. How's your relationship? Is it getting better? Is it getting worse? is it staying the same carnality spirituality it's telling sometimes it tells us what we don't want to hear but but paul would say this is carnality when you through your pride and arrogance find yourself all fired up battling with people and ultimately being rigid in your in your understanding of who you are and in your development personally, no changes are taking place. You're the same as you used to be. Well, I don't care how bad you used to be before you were a Christian. If you become a Christian and then you quit growing, it's still carnality. Call it what it is. You're acting like a piece of meat, a piece of carne asada, a piece of flesh. (laughs) And, And he goes, that's what you guys are doing. So... Check your zeal level. Ask yourself how you're getting along with other people. And then take a progress report and see, have you ever changed lately? And has it been for the better? And you can begin to see where in your life the Spirit of God is working and where in your life carnality is ruling the roost. Now, every one of us, on a day-to-day, sometimes moment-by-moment basis, veer back and forth between carnality and spirituality. But let's forever get out of our mind this notion that to become an old, stoic, solid Christian person who judges others and thinks they're better than other people, and you haven't changed in a long time, and you have an inflexibility, and you're angry at people who sin, and don't call that spirituality. Don't believe that that is the Holy Spirit of God. It's not spirituality looks, and he's going to go through this whole book and talk about it some more. When we get to the chapters 12, 13, and 14, it probably comes to its apex when he talks about the gifts of the Holy Spirit and how the Holy Spirit works in our lives. And in the center of that, 1 Corinthians 13, the indication of here's what love looks like and love means more than all the other stuff, and that's what the Spirit wants to do in our lives, Hey. If your life, I don't care how good you are, if it doesn't look like love, it's a sounding brass or a tinkling cymbal. If you're spending your energy and your time fighting with other people, debating issues, that's carnality. That's not spirituality. And so often, it's an alternative that Satan provides for us so we can feel like we're spiritual. I mean, I remember when I came to the Lord, a lot changed about my life in a short time. And almost everything that was a part of my life up until that point, it was just gone. God just graciously took away from me horrible habits and practices and sins that I was committing. And so I started to look at my life and go, wow, look, all that stuff's gone. And then I go, but what's left? And so I began to fill that void with an arrogant, rededication to studying what's right about me and what's wrong about everyone else. And so I found that instead of going out and partying or drinking and doing drugs and things like that, now I love to find someone who would argue with me. Argue with me about things that Paul says are the elementary things. If he says, hey, I fed you with milk, hey, there's some pretty heavy stuff in the book of 1 Corinthians that he fed them with. Talk to them about spiritual gifts. He talked to them about the bodily resurrection. Talked to them about communion. Talked to them about baptism. Talked to them about church discipline. So many different heavy areas that we designated as heavy. And when I became a Christian, I couldn't wait to argue about those things. 1 Corinthians was a great book for me because here's a basis on which I can correct people and tell them that they're wrong. And I began to grow more aggressive and more fired up And I'd get so excited when I'd get to talk to somebody who's not a Christian. Because, man, could I turn them, you know, away. Boy, could I shut them up. It was such a great feeling of fulfillment. The same fulfillment that I used to get driving away in a stolen car, now I felt like when I witnessed to somebody and made them (laughs) cry or tap out. It's like, this is even better than stealing cars, you know. And I thought that was spirituality. But all I found is that I was always battling with everyone. It was just the way it was before I was a Christian. Always fighting, always worked up and on fire, always upset, always trying to fix somebody else. And then finally, the Lord, and it's something that I've been learning since I came to the Lord in 1971, is that that's not the way to live. I need to cool off a little bit. I need to quit picking fights. I need to not be so stubborn in my own position and remain so super spiritually static that I'm looking for a fight, that I'm wanting to disagree. I need to be open to whatever it is that God wants to do. Now, I'm convinced that one of the biggest tools that Satan uses to keep us from growing and understanding the implications of the gospel and understanding God's word is he uses this fact that we can cloak carnality in a spiritual robe and feel good about ourselves because we're not smoking and drinking anymore and we're doing all this other stuff that's more carnal than that. Hey, if, if it takes you having a drink in order to calm yourself down, you'd be better off. Now, don't quote me on that. Uh, but... <laughs> It's better to do neither. But the whole thing is, hey, look, this isn't something, spiritual growth isn't something that you make happen, that the more worked up you get, the more you can fight for it. Spiritual growth comes when you stop fighting, when you submit yourself completely to the Spirit of God and allow Him to do what He wants to do. And that's a tough lesson to learn. And we have to keep learning it over and over again because our pride that we battle so incredibly, is always telling us we're better than others. And it's always roping us into fighting with others. And it also makes us become, as we get older, we become more set in our ways and and less open to change. And that's not a good thing. That's carnality. See, the way the gospel works, it's all God. He did it all for us. We watch him work. We don't go, oh, I want to help. We go, God, do what you're going to do. And as we understand that it's all grace, as we understand that it's not a team effort, it's all God, then he begins to change our lives and naturally things start to change in our lives. Some things fall off. Other things are added. And as long as we remember that it's just God, that it's his grace then God will allow us to connect with other people in a way that we were designed to be connected and to have an impact on people and to be agents for change for others, to be able to, we see someone who God has brought in our life, whether it's someone in our family or someone we work with or a friend that we know or a stranger we run into, and God says, if you'll let me work through you with my grace, then you can influence this person. But if you want to be stubborn then you'll fight with this person. It's your choice. How do you want to live, spiritually or carnally? Now, true spirituality and being impressed with God's grace changes us profoundly because we stop fighting change and then it can happen and God can do it. But if we want to stay living carnal, we'll have a lot of company with a lot of people who are telling us that, yep, we're spiritual, me and you, because we don't do this or we don't go there. The truth is, God isn't afraid of anything that we are going to be exposed to. You know, so often we we think spirituality means let's cut ourselves off from every negative influence, but all we do is then we cut off our ability to be a positive influence on others. And so we act like, oh, if you watch TV, that's a horrible sin. You should Throw your TV away. Yeah, and cut yourself off from seeing where people are at that you are called to reach. Now, I'm not, okay, go get your TiVos programmed and just start watching TV like crazy. No, it's way more important that you go spend some time with people and and love them than that you understand what TV shows they're watching. But God doesn't call us to being in a bunker mentality. Now, for me, this means also that, if there are people out there, for instance, who don't believe in God, I want to hear what they have to say. I'm fascinated to read what atheists say. When there's a best-selling book written by an atheist saying why he doesn't believe in God, I can't wait to get it and to read it. Now you go, oh man, that sounds terrible. No, it's not. See, I believe in God enough that I'm not threatened that somehow Satan's going to jump me and drag me off. If he does that, it's going to be because of my pride, not because of my isolation or lack thereof. See, I want to know really what's out there. I'm open, and if I'm open, other people are going to be open, and I will earn the right to have a say. I was telling someone the other night about one time when I went out, I got a call from the police about a a death that had happened down on the peninsula in Newport and went down there and it was a Sunday afternoon, I was exhausted after church, get the call on my way home, so I head down and man had died and the various family members were coming to the house and it was my job to walk them up and let them say goodbye to the body, to their father and, and it was all these people were there and let's just say their lifestyle wasn't mine And I wasn't enjoying being around these people, but I was just reaching out to them and accepting them, letting them use their foul language and express their anger and their anger with God and everything. And they knew I was a pastor, and I knew what they were trying to do just to shock me. But I just accepted them, embraced them, and listened to them and didn't say much back. And and then as I was about to go home like four hours later, I thought... Should I really be doing this? I'm I'm somebody who wants to bring the gospel to people and in this situation I haven't had an opportunity to do that. Now I could have forced it in. Hey, your dad's dead. Do you know what's going to happen to you when you die or you know, but it's like no, you know, this is something I want God to do. But I was kind of frustrated and as I said goodbye to them, they all all the family members plus their attorney who was there walked me out to my car and I just said, "Hey, if I can do anything, give me a call. And, and the attorney said, well, you know, we've noticed something. We were just talking, and you're a pastor, but you haven't done any preaching at us. You haven't talked to us about religion or anything like that. And we so respect your respect for us, and you're accepting us. Why don't you go ahead and do your spiel? <laughs> and I did my spiel. And I was like, Wow. I was feeling like I'm not pushy enough. Maybe I ought to be more pushy. And God was going, no, nah, this is what I need for, in a very natural way to allow my spirit to draw them and bring them to the point where they can hear this message and maybe it'll make sense to them. Maybe they'll accept it and maybe they won't, but they have a better chance of understanding it when they realize that you're not trying to make yourself different than them, that you don't want to fight with them. I think so much of what we do in out of Christianity is this business of trying to be right and stubbornly wanting to pick fights and argue. I, you know, grew up being taught all kinds of things, for instance, about Mormonism. Now, I have some significant differences with the teachings of Mormonism. Don't, don't get me wrong. But most, what most people know about Mormonism is just what Christian apologists tell them. And so they'll tell you things like, oh, they believe that Adam was God, that Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, and all these things. Well, if you ever talk to Mormon people, most of them don't believe that. I've talked to the guys who are the leaders of the Mormon church, and they don't believe some of that stuff. They do believe some other things that are wrong. But how are we going to interact with them on that if as soon as we meet them, we go, so Jesus is the spirit brother of Lucifer, you call yourself a Christian, but you're worshiping another Christ. Yeah, that's a great opener to open dialogue with someone. But that's our approach so often, and it's a carnal approach. It's not a spiritual approach. Listen, with the truth in our hearts, with with Jesus Christ through his Holy Spirit in our lives, we don't have to be afraid of what somebody else thinks. And we don't have to take the position of don't change, don't change, be stubborn. Hey, that is carnality, be influenced. You know, don't get the idea that, you know, there are some people, in, and the sad thing is, I know sometimes that kids are exposed to a teaching that comes from people who believe, for instance, that creation in Genesis chapters 1 or 2 was, had to be 24-hour literal, six 24-hour days, or you can't believe the Bible at all. Now, I happen to believe that Creation was most likely six literal 24-hour days. So I'm agreeing on that. But here's the problem. There are some people who love God, who are intelligent people, who study the Word and study the issues, and they come to the conclusion that it's a lot different than that. Now, if we teach people that, you know, oh, it's this or nothing, then they're going to miss out on the fellowship, and instead they're just going to be fighting with people who love Jesus like they do. They just happen to read a part of Scripture differently than they do. Now, I can say they're wrong, but I would rather say, share with me why you think the way you do. That's interesting. You're my brother in the Lord. If, if we've accepted Jesus Christ and put our faith in him, hey, let's talk about it. And having that kind of a spiritual openness will always disarm others. It takes two people to fight. Now you go, boy, when you talk about that, we should be exposed to what people think and listen to, you know, look, it's going to happen anyway. The question is, do you want to be upfront about it? Or do you want somebody to backdoor you, and when your kid gets into college, all of a sudden they find out that everything you said wasn't exactly right, that you were running away from the truth in some areas, and now you lose them completely. Now, I read books that are written by atheists, and you go, that's dangerous. Yeah, it is kind of dangerous. I mean, yes, maybe they'll make such a great point that someday I'll just chuck it all and become an atheist. But I don't think so, because I believe more in Jesus Christ than I ever have before, and I've read lots and lots of those books. Now you go, well, God, I wouldn't want my kids reading that stuff. Exactly. It's not for kids. It's not something that someone who's immature does. It's something that when you grow up, you get to be able to handle it. You can deal with it. You can stop acting like a baby, and you can listen to what other people have to say. Now, as he winds it up here in verse 4, he says, For when one says, I am of Paul, and another, I am of Apollos, are you not carnal? They were having this thing of, well, I'm a Paul guy, and I'm an Apollos guy, I'm a Cephas guy, and whatever. And he goes, that's a sign of carnality. Having yourself locked onto one man's teaching... And using that as your basis for argument. You know, it's like going, I am of Dave Rolfe. So every week I'm going to come to church and hear what Dave says, and then I'm going to hope I can find somebody during the week that disagrees with them so Dave's arguments can shatter them. That's not it. And if you this week decide, I can't wait to sink my teeth into my mother-in-law. She's so legalistic and angry and mean, and boy, this will really nail her. No, then... I don't want you to be of me. It's one of the reasons why we can benefit from listening to other people's teaching. As soon as you start to be of one person, you're going to limit yourself from a lot of other good teaching. And at the same time, you'll be a worse version of that person than they are because you'll take things out of context that they say. I had somebody, and I hope they're not here, but it's if they are, I won't reveal who they are, but I had somebody I was talking to in a, in a marital counseling situation, and, and nobody will ever come for counseling after this, but again, you'll never know who this person was. But I, I finally, I got so frustrated because their marriage has been really lousy for years and is not getting anywhere, and I finally told them, I go, look, why don't you just get a divorce? I go, oh. I go, no, tell you what, I said, seriously, you're not proven anything by endurance, I said, marriage isn't supposed to be this way. So I said, tell you what, why don't you spend six months, both of you, just being totally selfless and loving each other and doing everything that you can to make it work. And if both of you putting out that kind of effort for six months, if it doesn't work, go ahead and get a divorce. I guess it's not going to work. So I thought it was a clever little counseling trick, but the guy came in this week and goes, well... It's been three months. He goes, you know, some of my friends, I'm telling them that you told us give it six months and then get a divorce. And they said, I can't believe your pastor would say that. I go, let's start over. Let's go through this again. But that's what we do. We hear what we want to hear. We put our own twist on it. And anything that a pastor says that makes us feel safe in our carnality, that's what we go for. it. And that's how, frankly, most people pick churches. If the pastor picks on people that you don't like, good place to be. If the pastor makes you uncomfortable, I think he's off. <laughs> it's better to find somebody who makes you uncomfortable. But beyond that, it's so if we decide, if I just decide, okay, I am just of Chuck Smith. Now, Chuck Smith, I am more indebted to than any man I could ever imagine. I've listened to his teachings ever since I became a Christian. I've soaked up everything he has to say. I've probably spent more time listening to Chuck than maybe anyone else in the world has. But if I am just of Chuck Smith and I go pick fights with people who aren't of Chuck Smith, how stupid is that? And I would cut myself off from some like here in the last week I got to go hear Chuck Swindoll. And he and his wife shared on what they've learned from marriage in the last 50 years. And I thought I could go. Well, Chuck Swindoll, he's not a Calvary guy. He's not on K Wave or whatever. I don't want. But man, did God speak to me? Now there may be areas where we disagree, as there are with John MacArthur and and uh, you know so John Piper, so many other people that I've opened myself up to listen to, and I go, wow, God has a lot to say through them. As soon as I just start to go, nope, I'm Calvary Chapel. I'm just me. I'm just Chuck Smith then right away I find out I'm just banging heads with everyone. And now I can't change because I'm just listening to the same stuff over and over again and it's not having an impact on me. Spirituality is about change. But it's not about you changing yourself. It's about the Spirit of God changing you. So you need to be stretched again. I wouldn't, you know, sit down with my six-year-old and say, let's read this book on why this... Atheist doesn't believe in God. But, you know, most of you aren't six. It's time to grow up and to believe that what God wants to do in your life is more than just some limited little thing whereby every week you reinforce what you already believe. So if you have an eschatological position, a certain belief about biblical prophecy, the only books you want to read about it are the ones that agree with you. How smart is that? How much sense does that make? What that says is, I want to become more static in where I am, and it'll inevitably lead me to have some great fights, have some great arguments, but ultimately to change, it's not going to happen. And how sad when within the body of Christ, we find ourselves living these prideful, carnal, selfish lives that alienate everyone around us, not just non-Christians. They're way out there. We can't even hang with Baptists. We can't even hang with people from Saddleback Church. We can't even hang with Methodists or Presbyterians or most of church history or, oh, no, because Catholics or whatever. It's like, no, 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 no. You're the bad guys. We're the good guys. And what happens? They go, no, you're the bad guys and we're the good guys. And what you have is a fight. Two people drawing a line, both of them saying, I'm not going to change. And Paul would say, carnality. Look at how worked up you are about division. Look at how much of your time you spend arguing, disagreeing, stressing your point, carnality. That's not where spirituality happens. Now, it's not some mushy sort of thing that's like, we don't stand for anything. We don't believe in anything. Not at all. And obviously, as we go through the rest of this book, you'll see that Paul knew where to take his stand. But it's the, the self-awareness of being able to just look in the mirror and go, am I looking like someone who is being changed into the image of Jesus Christ? Is 1 Corinthians 13 flowing forth from my life when I interact with others? And then being honest with ourselves and going, you know what? If I'm changing, I'm getting worse. You know what? When I'm talking to other people, I'm usually trying to win. My heat rises, my temperature rises, but connection isn't happening. And to be honest enough to look ourselves in the mirror and say, grow up, you're being a baby. You're you're acting like someone who isn't even a Christian. Okay, you did that before. Don't keep doing it. Get over it. Move past Allow the Spirit of God to work in your life in such a way that He does what He wants to do, and you've got to trust Him to do it. Don't substitute His righteousness for yours. Don't say, you know, that's great that He's done this for me, but now let me do it for myself. Start over at the cross every day, every hour if you need to, and say, I won't settle for anything less than being filled with the Spirit of God. I don't want to be a carnal person who ignores God. I don't want to be a carnal person who who arrogantly takes a stubborn position that becomes confused. You can't tell the difference between God's opinion and mine. What I want to be is somebody who lets God work in my life. And that's the desire of my heart, and that's my prayer for you that God would set you free from carnality, whether it's habitual sin that robs you of growth and understanding of God's word, or whether it's that that tradition that you've developed that has allowed you to settle for just being the same, for living in a small pond and, and living in a small world, that he would free you instead to realize it's his father's world And it's for you, and he wants you to be a part of it. And you can trust him. He will make you righteous. He will change you, and he'll do it in a way that your temperature doesn't have to rise for it to happen. Let's pray. Lord, we need you all the time. We need this work of your Spirit in our lives. Because frankly, when we look at your description of carnality, it looks a lot like us a lot of the time. Fill us with your spirit. Help us to grow up. To soak in the deeper truths of your word. To understand more and more what it is to walk in the spirit. Help us, Lord. We pray this in Jesus' name. Amen. Let's all stand.